The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you. John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You are to be called Cephas which is translated, Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. This past Thursday, I joined volunteers from Church of Our Savior and Marin Lutheran to prepare and serve dinner to the women staying at the rest shelter. The first time I went there, there were only 15 women but they're now running at full capacity, a little over, and last Thursday there were 21 women. Still a drop in the bucket of the true number of homeless women, but it's better than nothing, I guess. It's been a brutal week in terms of weather, so I thought there might be more this time, and I was right. We were setting up, getting the buffet table set up, and getting out the serving utensils, and heating the teapots. It was a flurry of activity. And then the bus from St. Vincent's arrived, carrying our guests. And they came carrying their huge bags of belongings, which they piled up near the entrance, and quickly went to the big conference-type room where they set up their mat for the night. Some were smiling, waving hello. Others were disheveled and unable to make eye contact. And then we gathered in a circle, holding hands while Pastor Tom led us in grace. And then they went through the line to fill their plates with a simple supper. There was an elderly woman, who I remembered from the last time, who had commented on the spring salad mix that we had served. And she'd said, I'm so sick of that spring, spring mix salad. He said, when they first brought it, I thought it was great, you know, but now I am just so sick of it. You know, and I can relate, because it's kind of like kale. You know, it got so popular and started showing up in everything, and that was, that was great, and now I see kale, and I just go, ugh. Yeah. So I don't buy kale. 
because I have a choice. But anyway, when I was putting the salad together, I didn't use the spring salad mix. So when I saw her this time, I told her, I didn't make the spring mix salad. I remembered what she said. And she looked at me, and her eyes got wide, and she said, you did? You mean there's iceberg lettuce? <laughs> I said, yes. You know, she laughed, and she went over and got some. And I tried to make my rounds at the tables to sit a spell with the women. Some wanted to talk, some didn't. Some wanted to pour out the stories of their day, the good and the bad. Some wanted to make sure that I knew that they were more than a homeless woman, that they had a light, even though it had gotten a bit off track. And my sense was that many of them just wanted to be heard, wanted to be seen. And that's when I went by a table toward the end of dinner, and two women said to me, we just love it when you people come. You look at us. You talk to us. You treat us with dignity. Most people can't even look at us because we're homeless. I recently read a book that was written by our own Charles Forrest, From Harvard to Homelessness, which was his account of his experiences with being homeless. And I asked him if I could talk about it in this sermon, and he said yes. His first stories about how he lost his housing really resonated with me, and I heard echoes of it in what these women were saying on Thursday. Charles had a good job, a good apartment, a good life. But then he lost the job. And little by little, the savings dwindled, things got sold, basic needs were prioritized, until the day came when he had to gather up his things and leave his home. And he slept on the steps of his church where he had been an active member for years, a pledging, contributing member. But he remembers that when he became homeless, suddenly this community, this church that was known for its social activism and concern for the poor, wanted nothing to do with him. And he said, suddenly he became invisible to them. Suddenly, he was no longer seen. So I had that vision in my mind when these women said to me, you look at us, you see us. Most people won't even look just because we're homeless. And I told them about Charles's book and how it had stirred me, and they said, yes, that's exactly it. And one of the lovely things about Charles's book is that he does something that I've never really seen done in the discussion about homelessness. After giving us a thumbnail of his own experience with homelessness, he then goes on to look at it from a Jungian perspective and looks at the archetypes that hold up these commonalities of experience in Greek and Roman mythology, as well as in our own scriptures. For instance, in the Aeneid, we find that Aeneas has been tricked into abandoning his own quest to travel to his promised land and build his own city, and ends up helping the enemy build her city. And Charles says, at an important crossroads in one's life, it may be important to ask, whose city am I building? Whose visions am I enacting? Whose dreams am I following? If it is someone else's city, visions, and dreams that are not congruent with an individual's true path, that energy must be removed without delay. 
And I think both Charles and these women had the experience of taking on someone else's vision of them until they started to believe it and started to live as if that vision were true. And the women and I talked about why people turn their eyes away and don't see them and believe somehow that they somehow deserve their lot in life by something they've done, by who they are. And why do some of us feel compelled to tell ourselves that story? What fear in us makes us want to believe it? And believe it before we really see the reality before our very eyes. We tell ourselves these stories, I think, often because we don't know what to do. These stories can be a kind of absolution from responsibility. We tell ourselves these stories, perhaps, as a way to avoid engaging, to avoid listening, to avoid seeing. We tell ourselves these stories as a way to protect our hearts. And we may tell ourselves these stories with the best of intentions. I attended a leader's retreat at the Marin Organizing Committee this past Tuesday. As we looked at our priorities for the coming year, particularly in view of the results of the recent election. And they were talking about the fears and problems that are confronting the immigrant community in Marin. And they said one of the things that they were hearing over and over was sanctuary. We need to be a sanctuary. Which sounds reasonable enough, I guess, until they also started asking, have you talked to the immigrant community about this? And the answer was no. The sanctuary option just seems like the right thing to do. It's going to be very hard to figure out what to do about homelessness or immigration or anything else without actually talking to the actual communities in question, without actually hearing them, and without actually seeing them. Jesus says, come and see. And as with most of scripture, we have our ideas about what that means, but there are also so many layers of meaning that often get unexplored. In Brian McLaren's new book, The Great Spiritual Migration, How the World's Largest Religion is Seeking a Better Way to Be Christian, which I highly recommend, he talks about his crisis of meaning as an evangelical preacher, questioning what he really believed. And he was talking about this with his friend, a rabbi. And the rabbi said, that's something about you Christians that never made much sense to me as a Jew. She said, we don't read stories in the Bible looking for beliefs. We read them for meaning. Most of us aren't literalists, and we aren't looking for some timeless abstract statements about reality. We are looking for meaning to guide us in the predicaments of life to help us know who we are, why we're here, where we're going, to help us be better people so we can heal the world. And we never let one interpretation in the conversation. We see our sacred stories as bottomless wells of meaning. So what exactly is Jesus talking about when he says, what are you looking for? And then, come and see. And we can say that he wanted them to come see him at work, to see him working miracles, healing the sick, and restoring sight to the blind, to hear him preach on the mountainsides or in the temple. 
And yes, they would see that. But they were also being invited to see as Jesus sees, to go where he went, to be with the poor and the sick and the marginalized. Jesus didn't surround himself with the rich and powerful. In fact, he was often criticized for hanging out with sinners and drunkards. And Jesus was less about hanging out with them so he could preach them out of their sinful ways than he was about being with them as a brother, always assuring them that they were loved in the eyes of God. That the stories that they were being told about being worthless because of their station in life weren't true. That their station in life was not the sum total of their value to God. That they were precious in God's sight. So we are being asked to come and see the community around us with new eyes, especially in these times when the world that we thought we knew is starting to look a bit different. We're going to be asked to engage it in ways that we haven't done before. It's also time to answer that other question Jesus asked. What are you looking for? Are we looking to build the world we thought we should build? Or are we building someone else's city? Have we been led off the path that Jesus showed us? I don't know if you read the article in the New York Times last week about the philanthropist Charles Feeney. He made his fortune by his canny investing in things like Facebook and Priceline and E-Trade and Alibaba. And he decided to give it all away before he died. And he set up a foundation Atlantic Philanthropies, which has given money to create a public health system in Vietnam. He was involved in providing financial incentives for peace in Belfast, fighting AIDS in Africa, just to name a few. And he wanted to remain anonymous, but a lawsuit compelled him to reveal his identity. He has now given it all away. But he still has a couple million. But he and his wife live in a rented apartment in San Francisco. They say he never dined at fancy restaurants, preferring the local diner. He flew coach. And the author compared his worldview to that of others today in our society who, who never want to miss an opportunity to tout their wealth and give precious little of it away and would have us believe that the full measure of a person exists in their bank account. So which story do you believe? Whose city are you helping to build? Which view is grander? We hear in Isaiah today, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We need to choose our stories carefully. Now is not the time to be thinking small. Now is not the time to be overly concerned with our own particular house, denomination, country, or tribe. As the good rabbi said, now is the time to be figuring out why we're here, where we're going, so we can heal the world. Now is not the time to stay home telling ourselves our old dated stories. 
Now is the time to come and see this unruly world around us and step out into the unknown as we build the city of God. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.